Hello, and welcome back to All Rings Considered. Uh, we are on episode 56, which is book six, chapter three, Mount Doom. Um, this is the final chapter for the ring. Uh, so yeah, we've, but we not, have gotten here. But not at the book, which That's right. is, this, this book has a really strange structure, both the book of Lord of the Rings as a whole, but also uh, book six in that uh, this, is, this is the climax. But you have like six or seven chapters after this. So right. uh, you will see what those are about, but it, it is an unusual structure. It's an unusual structure for sure. Well, let's get into it. So yeah. um, summary of the chapter, uh, Frodo and Sam have escaped from the orcs where last chapter they had been uh, mistaken for orcs and were in line in one of their marches and they have escaped. And Sam sees that it is about 50 miles into Mount Doom and he realizes that they do not have enough provisions to return. That This is going to be it um so on their way there they lose their gear or they toss it away willingly because they're not going to need it shields and helms sam actually carries frodo because frodo cannot walk anymore and sam sees a they get to mount doom and he sees a, a path along the mountain and so they actually they crawl and for a moment frodo sees off in the distance he sees the tower of sauron um there's a a wind in just a moment where uh, the darkness around the tower is uh, unveiled. And so on their way into Mount Doom, they are attacked by Gollum. And Frodo, when he is attacked by Gollum, he actually uh, uses the ring and he commands Gollum to leave. He doesn't actually put the ring on, but um, he commands Gollum to leave. Um, and Sam has a moment where he can kill Gollum, but he chooses not to. And then as Sam catches back up to Frodo inside of Mount Doom, Frodo announces that he's going to keep the ring when Gollum attacks Frodo again and bites the ring off of his finger and falls into uh, the chasm that is inside Mount Doom. And that is the end of the ring. And so Sam grabs Frodo and they make it back outside where they see thunder and sort of a just a pandemonium outside uh, in the sky. And that is where the chapter ends. And I have to Fascinating. say... Fascinating. What were you saying? Sorry. I, I was going to say, I actually think... This may be my favorite chapter now, because um, wow, before yeah. it was Fog on the Barrow Downs uh, for a long time. Okay, um, but I actually That's think an this unconventional choice too. But uh, yeah, um, everybody go back and listen to our episode on that if you want to hear why. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this is a big claim. All right, this is one of your favorite chapters, or your favorite chapter? Excuse me. Yeah, I think so. I always thought your favorite was um, the last book, last chapter of book one. I do like that chapter. No, that's so. Uh, Flight to the Ford is yeah. where my favorite line is. Okay. Um, okay. But it's not. I don't think it narratively does the same. It doesn't have the same sort of hits. Got it. Yeah. Right. Okay, so nice. I think my favorite paragraph is in that of the whole book is in uh, that chapter. But this, this I actually think this is. I mean, I'm just gonna keep saying the same thing over and over. It's fantastic, right? There is mm -hmm. um, a mood to uh, the description of Mortar that we have been getting, but it's even more heightened. So we're actually seeing that it's just so. The desperateness yeah. of Sam and Frodo is woven into the descriptions. It's I love the part of Mordor that's described, like how the plane is described as very cratered, as though it had been hit and struck by many things. And so mm -hmm. it's there, there are craters all about it instead of just like a flat plane or even just a rocky plane. It's, it's been blasted uh, so much. I think that's really neat. I love that the the tower, Barad-dûr, Sauron's tower, is always shrouded in, in darkness. He keeps it deliberately sort of uh, in clouds or smoke or something. Yeah, we actually see the in this chapter we get a description of the mind of Sauron. So actually, from yeah. his point of view, yes. which is really rare in this book, it is. We've had a couple times, but always very brief. This might be the longest sustained 
uh, description of his thinking, which and it's a really it's a really good bit. Um, there are two can, places can, too. Let's let's yeah. let's read some of it. Yeah, let me read the one of them here because it's just really good writing. I think it's just powerful. I'm thinking specifically about when Frodo has put on the ring. Uh, and I'm actually, I'm flipping through it right now. So that's why, give me a second uh, to get to the exact line here. But when Frodo's put on the ring, it says this, the power in Barador was shaken and the tower trembled from its foundations to its proud and bitter crown. The Dark Lord was suddenly aware of him and his eye piercing all shadows looked across the plain to the door that he had made. And the magnitude of his own folly was revealed to him in a blinding flash and all the devices of his enemies were at last laid bare. Then his wrath blazed in consuming flame, but his fear rose like a vast black smoke to choke him, for he knew his deadly peril and the thread upon which his doom now hung. From all his policies and webs of fear and treachery, from all his stratagems and wars, his mind shook free, and throughout his realm a tremor ran, his slaves quailed, and his armies halted, and his captains suddenly steerless, bereft of will, wavered and despaired, for they were forgotten. The whole mind and purpose of the power that wielded them was now bent with overwhelming force upon the mountain. Yeah. That's uh, such a cool like bit like paragraph there. It's that's powerful. This is a really powerful climax of, of the of the story in so many ways. But just here that moment there, his enemy's plans laid bare. I love that uh in this brief moment, our heroes are are cast as the enemies, you know, from his point of view. Mm-hmm. And he the 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 treachery of of our heroes so to speak has been has been made clear all of a sudden he knows in he knows in a moment in a blinding flash it says he all of a sudden gets it and it's too late there's something really narratively smart about this too because you have this mysterious being right this dark evil force that in in first book i don't think his name is actually mentioned in book one i may be mistaken um oh it definitely oh that definitely is like chapter in two book and, one? yeah in book chapter two when they're talking about sauron right yeah yeah chapter uh, two maybe. child of the past oh yeah i mean I'm a, yeah i must just be yeah. mistaken but it's he's often referred to without referring to his name okay um, yeah and he is this figure that is very very like talked about but never you never really see him in the book until now so on the right yeah. at the very climax you have this character come in who is supposed to be the biggest deal in all of middle earth like the most Im- like important being in middle earth and he's on the edge of his seat yep yeah. right so just the all uh, in such a in, in a moment too it's such a turn right like yeah. he must have felt so confident that he was just about to crush everybody right there's a little doubt we talked about that in some these chapters leading up to this that he has some doubt that aragorn has the ring but he's still just about to like crush him with his massive army. And all of a sudden it all, he's lost in that one moment, realizes it and realizes that the thing he can have never even anticipated is what's happening. I want to read a little bit of sort of the description of Mortar before they get to, to Mount Doom. Okay. Um, That just kind of for the, uh, the pros of just describing this, uh, this environment. This is Frodo and Sam. But far worse than all such perils was the ever-approaching threat that beat upon them as they went, the dreadful menace of the power that waited, brooding deep in, uh, brooding in deep thought and sleepless malice behind the dark veil about its throne. Nearer and nearer it drew, looming blacker, like the oncoming of a, like the oncoming of a wall of night at the last end of the world. And it's, it just gets heavy. The, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's heavy. 
it is still dreamlike a little bit, I think. And um, I think uh, the darkness and the dreamlike nature of it too plays into Sauron himself a little bit. And just in that, do you, do you remember the scene in here where Frodo briefly, Frodo and Sam, I guess, can briefly see, they can see the tower and they also can see like a red flare of the eye. Right. I think it's just Frodo who sees it. Just Frodo who sees that. Yeah. Okay. So he can see that. Well, and that plays into that though, because it's not clear to me how figurative that is. Right. Does he right. actually see that physically or is that sort of in his own mind? that he is perceiving sort of the will of Sauron. And it's just not clear. And I love how it's ambiguous like that. We saw something like that way back in book one, breaking, no, excuse me, book two, breaking of the fellowship chapter. Uh, when Frodo's on the seat of seeing at Amenhen, mm-hmm. it has the same, the same kind of visual shows up there, the same kind of image. And there it's easier to dismiss as potentially figurative. Uh, but here, not so much. I mean, that might actually be, he might have actually had a glimpse there of what Sauron kind of, not Sauron directly, of course, but uh, indirectly looks like. I don't know. It's very strange. Yeah, I actually, I had a similar thought about, because Frodo sees the sees that flash of red in, uh, in Baradur, or off in the distance, and then when they get out of Mount Doom, Sam sees, uh, has a vision as well, and it's not, it wasn't clear yes, to me yeah. whether, so he sees the, the tower collapse and all these uh, right. machines fall apart. And it wasn't clear to me if that was actually just a vision or if he's actually physically seeing the shadow being um, uh, wi- you know, yeah. uh, wafted away. I mean, it's even described literally at the end. What Sam sees is described mm-hmm. as a brief vision. Right. So I wasn't sure yeah, if he it's, was. It's, yeah. It's not clear. Um, it's crazy. But I like that. It's just very surreal and dreamlike. And there's just something about this whole land that they can't actually like firmly get their bearings or, or even know what's real and what's in front of them what's the bit when frodo is walking around and he's he will like swat at something and he like right like he seems to be responding to stimuli stimuli that uh aren't there right or at least that sam can't see yeah so, so whole, yeah, yeah exactly yeah the whole thing is like warped uh and weird this why well, there's so much we have to this is gonna be a long episode we have so much to talk about that's okay one thing i want to talk about here is that there's this in this chapter with the landscape that we have, we are also getting given a lot more contrast this chapter than we have with pre- in previous chapters in Mordor between Mordor and the Shire, by which I mean, especially Sam, well, Sam specifically and exclusively is very nostalgic in this chapter. And that comes up a lot more so than other ones where he, he's thinking back to the Shire a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, that comes up multiple times. Uh, we got our first mention of Rosie Cotton. Did you know this? I didn't know this. The first time Rosie Cotton is mentioned is here in this chapter, actually. Really? I That's crazy must have just assumed it was yeah. she was mentioned before. You would have, right? I had to check this out, but it, it's actually the first time. That That's funny, because I, when I was reading it, it was, uh, you know, same as thinking. It says, oh, Rosie Cotton and her brothers. Yeah. Um, and, and I was thinking, it seemed like to me almost as if the and her brothers was kind of just thrown in there like a nervous <laughs> a nervous you know adolescent sam saying uh and rosie cotton oh uh, uh, and, uh, and your brothers uh, yeah. and you know and everybody else in the shire really you know everybody like, yeah like, yeah really well, special about her i don't know <laughs> but it's her first time mentioned which is crazy she gets mentioned when sam picks up frodo it compares it to like uh piggyback ride feels in the, shi- in the shire sam asks frodo like how much of this do you remember and frodo answers none i can't see any of it anymore Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, it, it just that keeps coming up. Line. It's a very sort of um, running theme here of, of Sam's intense nostalgia for the Shire, and it helps remind the reader of what's at stake. And it just plays with the contrast too of where Frodo is that he can't even 
picture this stuff anymore. Um, but he still does the right thing. He still keeps going. And it's actually, there's a lot to say about Sam in this chapter because yeah. uh, Frodo at this point has, you know, lost most of his agency. And the Frodo is kind of just acting. And Sam is the one where we see his thoughts um, yeah. from his point of view. There, That's really important too, I think, yeah. by the way. For in a second, once we talk about Frodo in that destruction of the ring, it's really important that we never actually are in his head for this chapter. Mm-hmm. Right, always with Sam. Anyway, sorry, keep going. Yeah, the only time we get in Frodo's head is when he sees... There's just a couple of bits and pieces. But yeah, so um, number one for Sam, early in the chapter, it describes how hope dies in Sam. And it says, but even as hope died in Sam, or seemed to die, it was turned to a new strength. Sam's plain hobbit face grew stern, almost grim, as the will hardened in him, and he felt... Uh, through all his limbs a thrill as if he was turning into some creature of stone and steel that neither despair nor weariness nor endless barren miles could subdue and the next paragraph starts off with with a new sense of responsibility and describes what he does so sam gains something that's he has a character transformation here um he is hope is not his strength here he is a sense of responsibility for frodo as his master uh, and then you see him actually carry Frodo. Mm-hmm. There's an interesting part. Oh, you know, uh, when they're getting rid of the um, uh, the orc shields and helmets and the orcish swords, they're lightening up their gear. Sam actually keeps the uh, soil that uh, yeah that Galadriel gave him, which is interesting, right? Like, why keep that? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's you know, there's a conversation Sam also has with himself, like Gollum. That's oh, pretty yeah, interesting. Sure, yeah. yeah. So Sam has this uh, this doubting voice. Uh, that he has a, a back and forth with like it's actually they're in their quotes too so he's having this dialogue with himself and he has like a kind of like Gollum version of himself that's just very pessimistic and doubtful um, mm-hmm. but real Sam wins out in the end yeah it's it's a big moment for Sam to really recognize that he is going to his death and to, and to really act, actively think about that uh, and still choose to do it of course there's that great moment with Sam it, where he has to show Gollum pity just like Bilbo did, just like Frodo did, Sam has to do the same thing. So third time, third time Gollum gets spared uh, by a hobbit. And it's a different hobbit each time. And that's uh, obviously a big deal for what <laughs> what comes next, how, how these all end up playing out. Are we ready to talk about the actual like destruction of the ring? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, let's do this. Um, So this is... Oh, actually, sorry, I take it back. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not ready. Um, there is there is one more. Uh, so so when Sam enters into uh, into Mount Doom, he pulls out the file of Gladriel, and yeah. it doesn't work. It's it lightens up, but it's pale and it's weak. And this is a brilliant narrative device because for the last couple chapters, the file of Gladriel has been sort of uh, Frodo and Sam's trump card versus the forces of Mordor, right? So mm-hmm. um, Shelob is afraid of it, and the Fire of Galadriel breaks the power of the Watchers when uh, Sam is rescuing Frodo. And this provides us with just a sense of how serious the situation is when they get inside of Mount Doom, because it's hard to go from... Get, it's hard to get more uh, dreadful than Mordor has been for the past couple chapters, right? So it's, it's this place without day and there is just this bleak wasteland of um just like noxious fumes and evil but then you have this narrative device that really more it gets it makes it more grave than you thought it could have been Mm -hmm. yeah so now charlie now i am ready now okay (laughs) i had to get that off my chest i've been (laughs) 
Love it. Uh, uh, yeah. And now we're here in Mount Doom, and we see what's going to happen. Gollum has been spared. The file's not working. Frodo went ahead of Sam, so Sam walks in, and this is what he's going to see. Before we, we get into it and what, what happens, what this means, there is there is a lot written about this topic, of course. Uh, and Tolkien himself wrote a lot outside of the book about what happens in the text. So we can we can maybe explore some of that. It is not worth, I think, parsing all of it here on this episode. I think that would take a whole book on itself to see, to go through everything Tolkien wrote. We have to really, I think, here lean on what the text itself says and really make that distinction between sort of, you know, the author's commentaries from outside and what is actually in the text in front of us and how mm-hmm. we read that. Because this is a, I mean, we were talking about ambiguities earlier, Talk about an ambiguous moment in, in, in so many ways. So we're going to lean on the text here, I think a little bit, at least I am, bringing some of what Tolkien said, but he wrote a lot on this. And sometimes I don't think it always added up in a straight, in a consistent way too. So it's trying right, to and it down. matters what we get from it too, as well. Exactly. Like in the end, right. he can say what he wants, but in the end, here's what was in the text. Here's how we can read it as we read it, what it means to us, etc. Uh, and that, of course, is no less valid than what he himself had would say in some private letter to somebody that would get published decades later. So Sam comes in, and Frodo is standing there, not doing anything with the ring, and he says, and I get this wording is very, this wording I think is important. Let me get the exact line here. He says, I have come, but I do not choose now to do what I came to do. I will not do this deed. The ring is mine. And then he puts it on his finger and he disappears from Sam's sight. Sam's then knocked out by Gollum. When he awakens, he sees Gollum fighting with an invisible figure, clearly Frodo. And Gollum ends up getting the best of this fight because he bites Frodo's finger off. And that finger tends, that finger uh, happens to be the one that has the ring on it and so Frodo then gets to reappear Gollum has the ring and he is celebrating and he slips and he falls and that's it that's how the ring is destroyed it's anticlimactic in a way it's a bold ending mm-hmm. it, it doesn't take more than a, a few paragraphs I count about like four or five here and that's it in terms of like well four or five in terms of the actual like events that are relating to the ring itself falling and it's all by accident like you just so we just went through you know (laughs) i got this whole one volume thing here 56 Uh, episodes 56 episodes of and frodo failed and then it's a total fluke that the ring is destroyed at all and it just as likely couldn't have happened but it did and that's that there's just so much to unpack there for so many, so many reasons. Wow. I mean, if you're reading this book, I wonder how many people are disappointed with this uh, climax, right? right? I, I would not surprise me if a lot of people are very bummed out about it. Frodo fails. I, I think it's really important that Frodo ch- says he chooses to keep the ring. Right. That's striking. That's striking. We are given a little foreshadowing about this, right? We've had two instances, one in this chapter, one in previous chapters, at least by my memory, at least, at least two instances where Frodo got very possessive and touchy about the ring when Sam offered to take it. So we yeah. had a little foreshadowing there. We had this instant where Sam had like a weird vision of Frodo like commanding Gollum as though he were really some kind of powerful being. Oh, actually, um, I, I love that. Do you mind if I read Yeah, we, we should talk about that a minute. Yeah, this is before, this is before Mount Doom. They've seen Gollum and Frodo commands him. Go ahead. Yeah, talk about what's this yes. look like. So Frodo is attacked by Gollum. Sam and Frodo are attacked by Gollum outside of the doors of Mount Doom. And Frodo apparently has this 
he rises with a strength that's unexpected, right? And he has the ring, not on his finger, but he has the ring. And the quote is, um, Sam saw these two rivals with uh, other vision, a crouching shape, scarcely more than a shadow of a living thing, a creature now wholly ruined and defeated, yet filled with a hideous lust and rage. And before it stood stern, untouchable now by pity, a figure robed in white, but at its breast it held a wheel of fire, uh, out of the fire there spoke a commanding voice begone and trouble me no more if you touch me ever again you shall be cast yourself into the fire of doom um and i consider which this, he does it happens right. exactly it does happen. like this it's like prophetic almost i i actually consider it this is frodo's use of the ring so okay but he wasn't wearing it yeah uh, yeah and i actually think that this is uh, yeah so i uh maybe that's controversial Maybe I'm a little too bold for some listeners. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think this is this is Frodo's use of the ring because it seems like this is the power that he used. Mm-hmm. Like, it seems like it's not just a coincidence to me. Sure. I'm not willing to go that far, but I do think it, nothing else. It's it's the what would he would look like if he were to use it. The only reason I'm not willing to go that far is that, one, he wasn't wearing it and the fact that it's the text says that Sam saw them and that the quote is he saw them with other vision implying, I don't know that there was a part of me that just thought this was sort of in Sam's head Hmm. a little bit. Sure. It's interesting in that moment, Frodo is robed in white. We've talked so much about these Christ parallels and I think we have a good one here, but then he doesn't act necessarily. uh, I don't know. Christ like maybe he does. This is interesting. So he, in this moment, which is before he's put on the ring, it's before Mount doom itself. He, is commanding Gollum. Right. And of course, I mean, the Christ parallel can still work. If you read a, a gospel, you'll see like, you'll see Christ command demons out of uh, pigs and these kinds of things. It, it could be similar to that, but it's a different kind of parallel than what we've seen. Uh, but he is clothed in white, robed in white, excuse me. It also says that the at Frodo's breast, it held a wheel of fire, a wheel of fire, and out of the fire spoke the commanding voice. Right. Yeah, so that's... Uh, so it's not like Frodo's voice himself. But at the same time, it, it is a kind of command and control and power. And the ring is nothing if not a symbol for power, right? Right. It, it it's not an invisibility ring. Uh. Exactly. It is, it is power through and through. If you have not picked that up and read Lord of the Rings, God help you. Uh, Go back. Listen to the other 55 <laughs> yeah. episodes. Of- I actually don't think it's something you and I have talked about that much because it's just so apparent and so obvious, right? This is The ring is power. And so the message here to me is very interesting. Frodo has gone all this way to try to defeat power, to try and reject power, to try and get rid of it. And he has proved uniquely resilient, partly because he's a hobbit. And there's something about hobbits and their nature of kind, sort of innocent, sheltered types that makes them sort of resistant to it in a way that maybe Aragorn and Boromir and Gandalf wouldn't have been. But, but... He gets to this point when he is faced with the final thing. Okay, so would you be willing then to totally renounce it forever? Like get rid of it outright. And Frodo chooses not to. Yeah. It's, and totally fails. It's a, and it's a failure that's, it's not just a failure of the task, right? Yeah. So it's not that, oh, Frodo, they got to the, you know, to Mount Doom and he just, he just died. He was too thirsty and he couldn't climb up all the way. So he mm-hmm. failed, right? It's he had a choice to make and he he is like an existential failure 
on Frodo's character. Uh, yeah, it, it kind of a moral fail. A moral it's a bigger failure, failure perhaps. Right. Um, it's... And I think, which by the way, just in case anyone's listening to this and alarm bells are going off, I am well aware that Tolkien actually explicitly talks about in some letter out there about this question whether Frodo morally failed, and he disputes it. And he says, "I don't think he did all these things." Again, I don't necessarily care. In the text itself, that is kind of what it comes across as. Oh, nothing yeah. Else. Like, I mean, I just so, gonna, I'm just throwing it out there because I I know I used a phrase that's potentially triggering because I <laughs> I know there's writing out there. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and be bold enough to say it. Like, this is a bit of a moral failing on Frodo's part. Um, it's a but, bit. It's a like choosing to wield the one ring of power for yourself is. I would say a light. It's like a white lie. It's a slight moral failing. A slight, <laughs> fine. It's a big moral failing. I take that. <laughs> um, it is a big moral failing. But in Frodo's defense, nobody would have done better. Nobody. It's impossible. Right? It is impossible to do better. So here sets up this interesting tension, which is if power corrupts, absolutely. <laughs> um, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Where is there room for this sort of human agency? Because Frodo does choose to take it, so he chose, but in sort of paradoxically, he didn't really have a choice. Nobody because it's impossible, right? To not choose it. So there's something in our nature as living beings to ultimately choose that. But then, is it a choice, right? And so you're into that. Uh, I don't know. So maybe, like in the end, it's like the ring itself. Maybe its power is the ring isn't making people do anything. Right, like the ring has no coaxing power per se, but rather it's going to bring out something that we all have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we see that throughout the book in different ways, right? So you see Sam's visions of power about a garden over Middle Earth mm -hmm. and Boromir's to be a great king, a great captain. Yeah, so but it, I but think it's there's a tough, support for that. It's a tough paradox to grapple with because if we are all ultimately going to choose this, so much of what this book is also saying is on the other side of things, right? So much about what this book's about is about what do you choose to do in response to evil and disaster and hatred in these things, right? Do you choose to do the right things or not? And Frodo up to this point chooses to do the right things, but then when it comes to this one thing, he chooses the same thing that every human would choose, which of course, again, like, is that a choice then? I don't know. Right, like that—that's a weird. That's a weird little bit. Yeah, I think the way I take it is that it's sort of the same sort of um, like Catholic theme, which is yes, death is inevitable, and so because we've talked about this, where it's like, oh, uh, death is inevitable. So, um, what do you do with your life while you're here? Or you know, there's this great failing of of life, um, and so what do we as living things choose to do before the the fall? Right. Right. Um, I think there there's a parallel here with it's like it's death, but it's uh, but instead of death, it's you can't outrun forever being able to just choose to be moral because you yeah. are inherently flawed in some way. But the choices that Frodo made all the way up until this point still had the result of some sort of victory, right? So he himself had a failing, but he's only he had an individual instance of failure. Mm -hmm. Right, but but the sum total of all his efforts still counted. Right, but what they ultimately did was allow chance to take over almost. So chance, or if chance you call it, though, right? right? Uh, so and, his his yeah, you know, this is a great moment. Let's let's unpack this for a minute because in a way, this kind of answers 
the things we're talking about, right? So if you could do all these right things, you were going to allow chance to take over. And I want to say chance here deliberately for a second because it seems like that, right? Gollum just accidentally falls into that fire. Accidentally. Right. It's crazy. So if they hadn't spared Gollum, that couldn't have even happened. Frodo could have claimed the ring. Sauron could have rushed in, maybe got it from him. Who knows what would have gone on there? I, I'm not super sure, but Gollum was spared and so Gollum got to stalk them and so Gollum got to take the ring back and so Gollum gets to slip and gets to fall in that's it oh uh I guess we won <laughs> so it's chance but also think way back to book one Tom Bombadil getting to say oh I was bopping along on my walk and I ran into you hobbits in trouble quite by chance well if chance you call it as he says mm-hmm. chance you call it so the Lord of the Rings in this moment, I think this is great, in this chapter, it doesn't say that Gollum slipping in is anything but just dumb luck, right? There's nothing in the chapter that indicates it's anything Except like for perhaps like, the quote from Frodo. Uh, where, right. Yeah, where yeah. he says, if you touch me again. That's true, uh, you're right. But I guess I mean to say like in the moment of the fall itself. Right. There's just nothing to suggest that there. But the book had been priming you this whole time the chance is not really chance right that mm-hmm. uh, there's a sort of providence at work and so that's ultimately i think what the book is trying to say that all those dis- right decisions frodo had made allowed providence to do its thing when it was time yeah and frodo has his quote at the end yeah right which is he says but do you remember gandalf's wor-? frodo's talking to sam but do you remember gandalf's words even Gollum may have had may have something yet to do but for him sam i could not have destroyed the ring yeah yeah um, and he says, so let us forgive him, mm-hmm. um, which is a totally different topic. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, but it's, it's yeah. really two, two um, quick things, just two quick hits. One, when just to close the loop on how the chapter did have that Frodo, that line where Frodo says, you will fall into the fire if you touch me again. Mm-hmm. I, I still don't see that as the chapter trying to indicate that it would be anything other than chance, simply because I, I just saw it as more like foreshadowing, maybe prophetic, but uh, Frodo doesn't push him into the fire. He's maybe... I don't know if we're telling that here for the audience, but it's yeah, it's tricky. It's because not his own agency that did that, so he was still so, wrong. So I wonder, right? So personally, I wonder if it's the power of the ring that does it. Like if it's a the power of the ring that sets this as a like a magic rule, right? Um, or because it does say he speak the out of the fire there spoke a commanding voice. If it's begone and trouble me no more is actually the command. Um, and then the second sentence is just prophecy. If you touch me ever again, you shall be cast yourself into the fire of doom. And then Gollum himself has a choice. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I could see multiple. There are a few different yeah. ways to take that. It's, n- it's never super clear how much agency the ring has itself either. If it did, though, it certainly wouldn't want itself to be destroyed. So then you have to think about that dynamic as well. <laughs> right. Um, but another thing is on that line you highlighted uh, that Frodo says about Gollum. That's the first time he says, let's forgive him. Up till now, it's been about pity, right? Let's have pity on Gollum. But this is the first time I think they've said, let's forgive him outright. So pity has turned into forgiveness, which is, yeah. a, I think, a powerful moment. Yeah. There, there's uh, an interesting part uh, when F- Gollum is attacking Frodo and Sam is going, like before Frodo gives that command, where Sam uh, has Sting out and he is wants to stab Gollum, but he can't because Frodo and Sam are so intertwined. And they're physically intertwined, right? But that at that point, it's it's hard to miss that they are, in some ways, the same. Yeah. So this forgiveness is interesting on that part too, because it's some aspect of Frodo himself that has that has done this. Yeah. At the end of this chapter, Frodo's now at peace, 
and he's forgiving Gollum, which is like you said, is in a way forgiving part of himself. And he's very content. And that's important to set us up for some of these later chapters where that's not going to be the case anymore. We're not going to have to figure out why that is. But here, at least, he is just at peace that it is done. Uh, he also clearly thinks he's going to die, though. Right. right. So he says to Sam here, the last line of the chapter, I'm glad you were here with me here at the end of all things, Sam. So he, yeah, at the end of all things, he thinks he's uh, about to die. Great way to end a chapter, too. <laughs> it is. Uh, that's a heck of a line, heck of an ending. Heck of a book. Again, I want to just name, as I kind of making these points in the chapter itself, we have to, it seems like it's chance. We have to kind of build on the overall narrative of the book that it's actually, there's no, there's no true chance, right? It's, it's, uh, <laughs> Providence, uh, to quote Jeff Goldblum, Pip, if I may, <laughs> you may Providence, uh, I'll finds lie. a way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there is, there is other outside writing by Tolkien. I know where he does spell that out very explicitly. He, you know, basically sort of makes the point that it, it, it a higher power comes in effectively god himself <laughs> intervenes in this moment to make sure it happens i know that's out there i get it but i'm just saying like within the text itself we have to sort of build yeah. that um and we can't conclude that it's eru Iluvatar from just this text you know you can do bring in tolkien to the writing if you want that's great but as a novel we are dealing with just with what we have here and uh i think it's very masterfully done that he does not explicitly name that that you have to piece it together a little bit yeah and, and i think that's that's really well done because that's often like maybe part of his argument as well which is that it's not obvious when eru intervenes mm -hmm. right um yeah and i think maybe since we're, we've gone on a little long for this chapter i uh will do some reflections for total themes of the book later oh yeah yeah i'm saving that yeah. for but yeah. um but yeah uh, you know there's there's also instead of eru uh Louvitar explicitly intervening this reading of it just like from reading the text you can also take that it's just some part of the nature of the world yeah rather than an explicit uh action done by uh, a being yeah i agree well charlie um did you have a favorite line out of mount doom i do i actually just read it but i will read it again actually you know what i guess i'll read two can i read i'll read two because since i did just read my actual favorite line let me read that again real quick for everybody but then i'm gonna read another one um okay I wonder if it's mine. Mm, that's you true. Take it, Charlie. Let I me okay so strike out against is, you. <laughs> uh, in that case, let me read my actual favorite line again. You read yours, and if it wasn't my backup one, then I'll read there that one go. too, just to get us uh, some more variety. Uh, okay, so my favorite line is the last lines of the chapter. I'm glad you were here with me here at the end of all things, Sam. I think it's really powerful. Yeah, it's really I like moving. that as well. Yeah, Frodo's back to normal. At the, in that moment and for him to be glad about something is really powerful he could that was not an emotion he could be he could have felt for ages and ages so it's it's a it's a really moving moment again when you think about the meaning too that he clearly thinks he's about to die yeah absolutely um so my favorite line out of this is when uh sam asks um frodo if he remembers he's asking him if he remembers a rabbit and uh, that was exactly my backup that's yeah. hilarious no i knew what it was so uh, so um, man, and frodo responds no i'm afraid not sam said frodo at least i know that such things happened but i cannot see them no taste of food no feel of water no sound of wind no memory of tree or grass or flower no image of moon or star are left to me i am naked in the dark sam and there's no veil between me and the wheel of fire I begin to see it even with my waking eyes, and all else fades. Oh, so good. 
and just wow like the setup um for the first part of that paragraph just the concepts like not necessarily the prose but just the which i mean the prose is good but the, just the concept of not being able to remember remember food or water or just any image of something pleasant and then i think the just the punch of that paragraph is i am naked in the dark and there's no veil between me and the wheel of fire yeah it's so it's too good that's too good so uh that was the end of the ring yeah we still have six chapters we have nine chapters total in this book right so we just finished three so we have yeah six more to go which seems like a lot given that the ring was just destroyed so we should have an interesting final six episodes for you all uh next episode is the field of Cormolin. join us then